I need your help this morning. We're going to uh, do a little word association. I knew some of you would like it. Some of you are saying, well, what's he doing? Well, we'll find out. I'm going to say the name of a company or organization, and I want you to tell me whose name comes to mind right off the bat. The person may or may not be the founder, may or may not be living, may or may not still be active in the company, but I want you to see what you say. Amazon. You know, that was probably the best answer you could have given. Amen to that. Very good. Very good. Well, Jeff Bezos is the guy, but Satan is the one behind it. Uber. Uber. All I know is it gets me from one place to the other. I don't know. I mean, that's, uh, so that, that may be a good answer. How about Apple? Yep. How about Facebook, which I hate? There we go. Good. How about H-E-B? That's right. Some of you are employed by, by them, and uh, you're happy to, to shout it out. Walmart. Good. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Oh, that, yeah. I always think of uh, Yum Yum, but I also think of Hershey's. Uh, that's the company that makes them, of course. Uh, how about Tesla? What, which, uh, there we go. There we go. How about the Texas Rangers? Uh, all I can say is they're 2023 World Series champions. And I had to get that in there somehow. And I had a good week. All right. How about Islam? Right. Buddhism. Buddha. Y'all help me out here. The Mormon Church. Joseph Smith. Right. Christianity. Judaism. Each of these individuals, each of these organizations that we have talked about this morning, they are important as you do word associations. But today we're going to consider the leaders of the final two on the list, that is Jesus and Moses, as we continue our sermon series on the book of Hebrews. Let's pray and ask God to just open up his word to us this morning. Let's pray and ask God that the Holy Spirit comes into us and opens up his word like never before. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. Father, we pray today that your Holy Spirit have his way in this place. And Father, as we study and look at your word this morning, we pray, Lord, that you will create within us an understanding and a knowledge of the one who wrote it to begin with, so that, Father, we can be enriched by and through your Holy Spirit today. Father, we pray that, that you will take the word today and use it within our midst in a powerful way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we continue our sermon series, the question is, why was it important 
for the author of Hebrews to prove Jesus is greater than Moses? Good question, right? The Jews understand so highly esteemed Moses above any Jew who had ever lived. Now for Gentiles like ourselves, right, we were redeemed by Jesus, we were saved by Jesus, and that's a no-brainer because there's absolutely no question in our minds that Jesus is greater and superior than Moses. But for the Jews, that was not the case. The fact is, in the minds of the Jews, Moses held a place that was absolutely and utterly unique. Moses was the man to whom God verbally spoke to from the midst of the burning bush. Moses was the man that God called to lead his chosen people out of Egypt and out of the bondage they were facing and into the promised land. Moses was the man, along with Aaron, who were given supernatural powers from God to do great and miraculous things before Pharaoh with Aaron's rod. Moses was the man that witnessed the many signs and wonders done by God during the ten plagues that God sent against the Egyptians, including the tenth plague when God sent the death angel to Egypt to kill the firstborn. Moses was the man that led the children of Israel out of Egypt. He witnessed the very presence of God through the cloud during the day and the pillar of fire at night. Moses was the man who led the children of God to the very edge of the Red Sea and again witnessed the greatest of all miracles, the parting of the Red Sea. Moses was the man that witnessed God's continual provision for his people throughout the wilderness journey. Moses was the man that witnessed the very glory of God and was privileged to see the very back of God as God covered him in the clefts of the rock. And it was Moses as he came down from Mount Sinai who had the very glory of God transferred to his face. So much so the Bible says that Moses' face shined and the people were afraid to approach him. I mean, Moses was God's man. But beyond all of that, beyond all that I just said, the greatest thing in the mind of the Jew was the law. And Moses was the one who presented the law of God to the people, making Moses and the law synonymous among the Jewish people. In Romans 2.17, Paul makes the point that Jews rest or rely on the law. In other words, the Jew and the law went together along with Moses. And the Old Testament commandments and the rituals were their priority. The fact is, no one did Moses bring down from God the Ten Commandments, but it was Moses who had authored the entire Pentateuch, which lays out all the Levitical laws as well as the laws that govern their very life. And so the Jews viewed Moses as the great lawgiver, and they exalted him as such. And some Jews even believed that Moses was even greater than the angels. Get the picture now? And get this. In Jewish legend, the achievements of Moses were magnified even beyond the biblical account. For example, Josephus enlarges on Moses' wisdom and even ascribes to Moses great beauty and stature. He also makes Moses a mighty warrior and credits him with a skillful victory over the Ethiopians. Another writer by the name of Philo credits Moses for making cultural advances in arithmetic, poetry, music, philosophy, and astrology. 
Can you believe that? Others credit Moses with creating the alphabet and then graciously giving it to the Phoenicians, who then gave it to the Greeks. And Moses was the author of the alphabet, some say. I mean, certainly we can say Moses' life and history is remarkable. I mean, Moses led the Israelites in the most memorable and remarkable times in Israel's history. However, as great as Moses is, the author of Hebrews calls us in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, to gaze on Jesus, who is far greater than Moses. So for the Jewish readers, the author is saying, listen, if you think Moses was great, you need to consider Jesus. So this morning, we're going to examine three proofs that Jesus is greater than Moses. First of all, Jesus is greater than Moses because of his superior role. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. We'll spend most of our time here this morning. We'll look at some other passages. But Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Now, when you read that, you can immediately tell that, remember in Hebrews, there can be three audiences addressed, right? We talked about that in the background of Hebrews. And in this case, we know that he was speaking directly to Christian Jews who were looking at Jesus with one eye and glancing back to Judaism with the other. And the word, therefore, always refers back to something that he had just said. In other words, it can be interpreted as on the basis of what I just said. And what did he just say? The author just said in chapter 2 that it was Jesus who ultimately recovered mankind's lost destiny. It was Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, who suffered and died on a cross as our substitute. Jesus took our place. Jesus paid the price for us and satisfied the wrath of God. Jesus was born to die. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It was Jesus who is the author of our salvation and through perfect obedience and going to the cross and suffering, he is indeed our author and finisher of our faith. It is Jesus who is our sanctifier, cleansing us from all sin and helping us to grow into mature believers within his righteousness. It is Jesus who leads us daily in working out our own salvation. It is Jesus who is our conqueror over Satan and the grave. It is Jesus who's defeated death once and for all. And that was, by the way, Satan's primary weapon against mankind, death. Now we have no fear of death. It is Jesus who is our sympathizer. He is our merciful and faithful high priest. He not only makes propitiation for our sins, but he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. Jesus experienced all that we experience in this life. He is our all in all, and all these characteristics more than qualify him for the most serious consideration possible. Note the term, holy brethren. As believers, we are brothers and sisters with Christ and in Christ and with one another. We are adopted children of the Heavenly Father. And when you study the book of Hebrews, 
uh, you know, you, you read through it, and oftentimes he uses that word brethren. But recall, we said that earlier that Hebrews is written to three different audiences. And you can still use that word brethren to refer to other people that aren't saved. Give you an example. In Acts chapter 2, 29, and Acts chapter 13, verse 38, both Peter and Paul addressed unbelieving Jews as their brethren because they were their brethren within Israel. They were brothers within Israel itself, not within Christ. But here the author makes it clear by referring to the readers, adding that word holy. True spiritual leaders, true spiritual leaders, Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. And along with this term, there's that phrase, partakers of the heavenly calling. Again, emphasizing that these are born-again believers who one day knew that heaven would be their final destination. Now think about it for a few minutes. Judaism produced an earthly calling with an earthly inheritance. Would you all agree with that? While Christianity is a spiritual and heavenly calling with a spiritual and heavenly inheritance. Far more superior. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. Also, Philippians 3, verse 20. Here's what Paul says. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's here the author is saying to his readers, you are citizens of the heavenly. So why don't you just let go of the earthly things, the earthly ceremonies, the earthly rituals, instead of hanging on to the law and rituals of Judaism. And the writer goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. By the way, that word consider is more than just that what we read as consider him or think about him, but it implies continuous observation, attention to him. The idea is to put your mind on Jesus and let it remain there so that you may understand who he is and what he wills for your life. And I want you to also notice that Jesus is both the apostle and high priest of our confession. And he is both of these, and he is then superior to Moses because he is. Now, think about it for a few moments. Moses was never called an apostle, right, in the Old Testament. But Moses could have been considered as an Old Testament apostle in the basic sense of the word. Because the word apostle means sent one. And it was a title used for official ambassadors that were sent out from other countries. Moses, in this sense, was God's sent one to deliver his people from the bondage of slavery and to bring his people the law and the covenant. But Jesus was both apostle and high priest. It can be argued that, that Moses was an Old Testament apostle, but he wasn't a priest, was he? And he certainly wasn't a high priest. Jesus is superior to Moses in his role, because he has two roles, whereas Moses, you could argue, only had one. And even as the, uh, the role of apostle, Jesus is superior. Because listen, number one, he brought a better covenant. And secondly, 
He was the very sacrifice that made the better covenant effective, making Jesus the supreme apostle. Now, you say, well, what are the characteristics of the apostle, of the, of the ambassador? Well, first of all, an apostle or an, an ambassador has the rights and power and authority of the ruler who sends him. Right? Jesus came in the power of God with all of God's grace, all of God's love, all of God's mercy, all of God's justice, all of God's power. And he had the rights and the power and the authority of the Father in heaven who sent him. An apostle or ambassador also speaks completely on behalf of the one who sent him, right? In John 12, 49, Jesus says, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. Jesus is the perfect ambassador, the perfect apostle sent from God, and he's also our great high priest. And we're going to examine that fact more as we get into the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 5. But suffice to say, Jesus is the supreme high priest or the supreme mediator between God and man. I will tell you that Moses was not a mediator between God and man. I've often called out the Catholic Church from this pulpit several times for its idolatry. The worship of saints, the worship of Mary, the worship of their own priests. And with this thought, when I read that Jesus is our great high priest, I thought about how the Catholic Church places the Pope and their own parish priests equal to God himself. They require parishioners to go and confess their sins to the priest for forgiveness. They refer to their parish priest as father, and they treat Pope Francis as if he were God. But as I read this passage, it is clear there's only one high priest, and his name is Jesus. Our high priest is greater than any man. Our high priest is greater than any ordination of a church or of a religion. And before you and I get too carried away with uplifting priests to God and the problems with the Catholic Church, let's be reminded today that you nor I should not put any pastor any elder, any leader of a church, to any sort of elevated status. The fact is, our great high priest is greater than any man. Jesus is greater than Moses because of his superior role as apostle and high priest. Secondly, Jesus is greater than Moses because of his superior works. At this point, the writer of Hebrews begins to compare the work of Jesus with the work of Moses. And again, we need to keep in mind that it's hard for us, for Gentiles, to fully understand the reverence and affection the Jews had always had for Moses. But almost everything of importance is always going back to the connection of God in the mind of the Jew, connected with Moses and the law. And before showing Jesus' superiority over Moses, the author points out there's a resemblance of the two prior to talking about their differences. Look at verse 2, chapter 3. Who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses was faithful in all his house. Read that. Moses was faithful in all his house. And the Old Testament confirms this testimony. 
Numbers chapter 12, verses 7 through 8. I know those are your favorite books of the Bible. Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus. Uh, listen, they're, they're great reading. If you have trouble uh, going to sleep at night, read one of those books because you'll get into those, those laws and those genealogies, and by the time you know it, you'll fall asleep. But it's a very important book because it talks about Jesus. Numbers 12, 7 through 8. Here's what the Bible says. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? I mean, what was happening was the people were speaking against him. They were trying to get rid of him. And, and that's the question. Why were you uh, speaking against my servant Moses? Now, a servant of the Lord in the Old Testament is one who responded in faith by obedience to the word of the Lord. And so the phrase here, faithful in all my house, was a reference to Moses' loyalty of his role as God chose him and called him as covenant mediator between the Lord and Israel. He basically carried out God's plan for God's chosen people. Now listen, it took 40 years, right, to make Moses into the leader that God desired. Then it took another 40 more years for God to use him in a mighty way. And though Moses, listen, though Moses faltered as he killed the Egyptian in Egypt, and as he struck the rock for water, instead of obeying God and speaking to it, for the most part, Moses was faithful. But he was still a man, and he still had his faults. And what his life teaches us is that through Moses, and though he wasn't perfect, though he failed God, God still used him in a great and miraculous way. I've got good news for you this morning. We are going to fail God as well. And it's God's grace, it is God's mercy, it is God's forgiveness, it is our repentance that restores us and creates in our lives opportunities to use us still for His glory. I don't care how many times you fell, God. I don't care how many times you've stumbled and fallen. God is there to pick you up and renew you and keep you going on the path He desires for you. Moses messed up. We mess up. But aren't you glad that we have a God that takes care of mess-ups? Right? Just as Moses was faithful to the one who appointed him, God, so was Jesus, only much more. As God's supreme apostle, God's sent one, Jesus was completely faithful to the Father. John chapter 7, verse 18, Jesus says, He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. John 8, 29, Jesus says, And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. You see, Jesus always did the Father's will. And the difference between him and Moses was, Moses was imperfect. Jesus was perfect. He was faithful every step of the way. And look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 3. For this one, talking about Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house 
has more honor than the house. You say, what is he talking about here? Well, the word house is from the Greek word meaning household. And it refers not to a building or a dwelling, but refers to people. Old Testament believers, Israelites, were God's household. And Moses was trustworthy as a steward in that household. And understand now that a steward of a household doesn't own the house. He simply manages it for the owner, right? God owned the household, and Moses was simply his manager. And he was charged, Moses was, with dispensing the truths of God to the people. Yet Jesus, notice, was faithful in his house. His house. Where is his house? The church is his house. Ephesians 2.19, Paul says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers. Aren't you glad we're not strangers anymore? But fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are the household of Jesus. Jesus is the one who cares for us. Now Hebrews 3.4, hang on. For every house is built by someone but he who built all things is God. Understand where he's going? Moses was faithful, but he was just part of the house. Jesus built the house, and that's the difference. Jesus created Israel, right? Jesus made the nation of Israel. He's the one that created them and breathed life into them. And understand that in John 1:3, all things were made through Jesus. And without Jesus, nothing was made that was made. Moses was only a member of the household, but Jesus was the one who built it. Moses was a part of Israel and an instrument used in building it, but Jesus was the one that built it. And to hold on to the forms of Judaism or hold on to its greatest leader, Moses, is to hold on to one who is less than Christ. Notice here that Moses was only a part of the house as we are. Right? We're just a part of that. We didn't create the church. We didn't breathe life into the church. Jesus did. The Israelites didn't create the law themselves and, and, and uplift Moses. No, God did all of that. And I will tell you that all followers of Jesus Christ in God's house this morning, we all have spiritual gifts. And we use them as what we call sacred trust from God. They're not ours, right? Who were they given to? They were given to you by God. The Christian life, you see, is a sacred trust given to us by God. It demands our true faithfulness. And we've not begun to discover what God can do through us if we are faithful. But we aren't the builder. We're just the ones God created as part of the church of the living God. In the book called The Transparent Leader by Dwight Johnson, here's what he wrote. We don't need to become great men and women of God. We need to become men and women of a great God. How true that is. Jesus is greater than Moses because of his superior works. And by the way, Moses during those days leading Israel out of Egypt, he wasn't doing the miracles on his own. Who was doing them? God was. Right? 
Jesus is greater. And thirdly, Jesus is greater than Moses because of his superior person. Look at verse, verses 5 and 6. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which, which were to be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Final climax here of the entire argument about Christ being greater than Moses. In this passage, we see that by person, Moses is a what? He's a servant, which Jesus isn't a servant, but he's a what? A son. Did you understand that? There's a difference between servant and son. John 8.35, Jesus says, And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. And the reason I read that passage, in other words, servants come and go, but sons are your sons, right? They stay. Moses was a servant, and he conducted himself, conducted himself throughout his life as a servant. And that Greek word for servant is a term of dignity and freedom. Dignity and freedom. Not, uh, not in, in um, servility, not in uh, serving like that, but it's a, it's a term of dignity and freedom. And, and this word, by the way, is used only here in the New Testament, this Greek word. And it suggests that even as the highest-ranking servant, Moses was still a servant. He was faithful, obedient, ministering, and no doubt a good steward of God. If you will look at Exodus 35 through 40, you can look at it for yourself later on. In those chapters, there are 22 references to Moses' faithfulness to God. Exodus chapter 40 alone refers eight times to Moses' obedience in everything that God commanded of him. But he was not a son. That's the difference. And notice that Moses' faithfulness had a very important and special reason for it. He was faithful primarily, as the Bible says here, as a testimony to things which were yet to come in Christ. Did you notice those words? Underline those words because they're very important. Uh, this is a very important passage of Scripture because the Bible says very clearly here that as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. What are those things spoken afterward? Moses was faithful as a testimony to the things which are yet to come in Christ. In other words, Judaism without Christ or the Old Testament without the New Testament is incomplete. Would you agree with that? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, talking about the Old Testament sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. You see, in the Old Testament, it was a shadow of the perfect substance that was to come in Christ. And basically, if you reject the substance, the shadow is worthless. On the other hand, if a person truly accepted the shadow, the Old Testament, seeing that Jesus was a part of all that, and he was a symbol of all that, that, that person also accepted the substance when it came and became known. Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 46, for if you believe Moses, you would believe me. That's what he said. 
But note in Hebrews 3.6 that Jesus was faithful over his house, whose house we are. The church building, we say we're going to church. Well, we're going to the church building. We are the church of the living God. We are the Lord's house. Turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 2. and We've already read verse 19 earlier, but I want to read verses 19 through 22. I'm going to tell you, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Jesus established that early on. And listen to what he says about us, the church. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Can you imagine that? We are citizens. Listen, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, and whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, and whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in what? In the Spirit. Man, that's the church. And though the church has failed in many, many areas and many, many ways, listen, we are the church of the living God. Next week, if we go out to a pastor out here among the cow patties, and we worship God, we'll be worshiping as a church. We don't have to come to the building. We just come, we just come as the church because we are the church. True followers. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. These things I write to you, Paul says, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. If you are not going to a church that preaches this, you are going to the wrong church. This is the pillar of truth. And the word, God's word, is our foundation for the truth. And there's a lot of people going out to churches today that are just wanting to hear uh, entertainment right? Uh, They do an entertainment. They do a show for you. Listen, you need to be in a church that teaches and preaches the Word of God because you'll never be filled and you'll never grow as a believer if you're not. There's a lot of guys out there just doing a bunch of tricks. That's a nice word. You see, Moses was a servant in someone else's house. Jesus is a son over his own house, the church, his bride, his own people. How can we know that we are truly God's house? Well, first of all, by holding fast, the Bible says, the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Now, folks, this doesn't mean, as many have misinterpreted, that we are saved if we hang on till the end. That's not what it says. We can either save ourselves nor keep ourselves saved. Do you understand that? The meaning is simply that continuance is the proof that we are really saved, that we are really God's house, that we are truly born again. In other words, one can tell if they are truly born again, truly part of the house of God, because they remain and abide in Jesus. 1 John 2.19, John says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be manifest that none of them were of us. 
apparently many Jews had fallen away. And it's because of them that the writer of Hebrews gives these words, which both warn and encourage. You see, the true saints persevere, and their perseverance until the end is evidence of their salvation. So if we persevere to the end, if we continue, even though sometimes we get knocked down, even though sometimes we're disobedient to God, when God picks us up, we persevere to the very end, and when we get to the end, Jesus says, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what we're working for, moving toward every day. As I said last week, salvation is a process. Once you're saved, that's not the end of it. Every day, Every day, every day, Jesus creates something new in you and I. John 8, verses 31 and 32. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. One of the clearest truths of the New Testament. John 10, 28, Jesus said, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. We should be sure, first of all, that we are truly Christians. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. And secondly, when we know we are in Christ, we should keep our eyes completely on Him. Our missionaries in Ghana, West Africa, Joey and Patty Romero, they tell a story about two elderly ladies who came several years ago to the church that they had planted in one of the remotest remote villages there in Ghana. And I'm talking about when I say remote, I've been to some of them, and you have to literally use some kind of Jeep or some kind of vehicle to get there, and most of the time you've got to walk the rest of the way. But these two ladies, elderly, came to the church that they planted in one of the remote villages, and after the message, these two elderly ladies both made the decision to follow Jesus and give their lives by faith over to him. That's a great story, right? But here's the rest of it. After giving their lives to Jesus, they begin to cry in fear. For you see, these two elderly ladies, all of their lives have been worshiping false gods. And they were scared that if they gave their lives completely to Jesus, that these false gods were about to curse them and get mad at them and kill them. So they invited the Romeros back to their village homes. And they said they wanted to get rid of all of the little gods, these little wooden-shaped idols in their home. So they went in and removed all these idols, yet they were still very frightened. They wanted them destroyed immediately. So Joey suggested that they burn them right there. And they said, that's not enough. Not just burn them, but bury them. So Joey took a shovel. As they were huddled with Patty, shaking with fear, he gathered the idols, dug the hole, placed the idols in the hole, set the idols on fire. And while he was doing this, the ladies couldn't look for fear that these false gods would immediately retaliate. After burning them, he covered the hole that he had dug, and as soon as he covered the hole that contained the burnt pieces of these false idols, that's when these two ladies fell to their knees, praising Jesus and thanking him for saving them. And they found, you see, that day that Jesus was greater than any wooden idol. Jesus was greater than any false god. Jesus was greater than everything that they had ever been taught 
from their childhood up that Jesus was greater. And they believed in Jesus for the very first time as the living God. Not a God made with hands. Not a wooden image that can't speak or think. But the living God, Jesus. Not long after that, Joey said they both died. Praise the Lord. They were immediately in the presence of Jesus when they took their final breath. I want to meet those two ladies one day. I will. You'll get to meet them as well. You see, Jesus is all we need. And it is Jesus who is greater than idols, greater than the law, greater than any born leader, greater than Moses, greater than a preacher, greater because of his superior role as apostle and high priest, because of his superior works and because of his superior person. How today can you reject Jesus in your life? How can you do that? If he's greater, why not just receive him into your heart? This morning, You've tried everything in the world to try to live your life the way you think you ought to live it. You have continually ignored God. You don't even know God as your, uh, you, in fact, the matter is, oftentimes you use God's name in vain because you don't care anything about God. You've tried to live your life the way you want to live it. I will tell you that the road that you're taking is a broad road of destruction. It will only lead destruction. And you're here today, and you've heard the gospel preached. You know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You know that because of his death, because of his substitute on the cross, as he gave his life for us, that he now can forgive you of all your sins. You can have a relationship with God. And today, you're here, and you say, Pastor, I need that. And I don't care whether you've been in church all your life. I don't care whether you carry a big Bible. I don't care whether or not you're a church member. God doesn't care about any of those things. You know why? Because church membership doesn't get you to heaven. Carrying a big Bible doesn't get you to heaven. Being in church every Sunday doesn't get you to heaven. It is only through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Won't you give your life to him today? Won't you give your life to Christ today? I invite you to come and do so. You say, well, Pastor, I, I, I don't really want to come down front. I'm Listen, don't be embarrassed. We will rejoice in your decision to follow Jesus. We look forward to seeing people come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. We're not going to embarrass you. You don't have to say anything. We're just going to uh, help you make that commitment today and, and say, listen, I want to follow Jesus. That's all you got to say. We'll rejoice in your decision, and off you go. And we'll rejoice in that decision this morning. There may be some here today, and you say, Pastor, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord, and, but I've got so many things on my heart today. Uh, I just need to come and pray. This altar is always open for prayer. You know God hears our prayers. You know God is faithful. You know that God answers our prayers. Understand that today. Whatever your need may be, Jesus is here to take care of that need. So let's stand together and pray. Father God, thank you that Jesus is greater than anything in the world. And that, Lord God, that he is our living God, our living hope, our Messiah. Father God, I pray today as we extend this invitation time that, Lord God, if there are ones here who do not know Christ, who have never followed Jesus as Lord and Savior, that today will be the day of their salvation. 
Today will be the day when they turn to you and turn away from their wicked ways. And Father, let you change them from the inside out. Redeem them, Father. Help them to be born again today. Father, we pray for those who have needs today, those who know you and, and who serve you and follow you. Father, we pray for those needs today as well. Lord, just bless this invitation time and use it for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As God speaks to your heart today, you come as we sing together. <laughs> 